ready for this week's episode. I am really looking forward to Living Well While Living Online, which is a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. I am your host, Tammy Riley, and excited to share with you Allison Tanner, a Quinnipiac University uh, student, alum, she was a student when I knew her, uh, out there in the world doing such great things, which she will share. Really admire her and her story. She has a medical history and had to really learn a lot about her own body at a very young age when most of us are not even giving it a second thought. So I love her thoughts, her her mindfulness, her intentionality, and all that she shares about really learning to help her own body be in a better place. So grab a cuppa and settle in to living well while living online. Hello, everyone. Here we are at Living Well While Living Online with our guest of the week, Allison Tanner. I am really looking forward to sharing this conversation with Allison. I met her when she was a college freshman at Quinnipiac, uh, was a field hockey player, and, and I know the journey that she's been on her entire adult life, right, because you go to college as an adult, her adult life with some health issues, and she definitely has a lot to share, but I'm, I'm happy to say she's on the other side of the U.S. right now, thriving, um, healthy, and happy, and um, also has a lot to share with all of the people she comes in contact with. So, Allison, thank you for being on. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is great. <laughs> so fun to get to share, you know, your story, um, which is really I'm going to say uh, so much of self-care, right? So when you have medical issues, you know, a lot of times there's treatment and and there's definitely medical stuff that goes on. But with your case, I think there was a lot of things they didn't know. So I think you had to really own a lot of stuff and and figure out how to care for yourself. So I'm sure that um, you do have a lot of things that you've worked on or that you have to work on in order to stay in the in the place that you are right now which seems to be amazing you're a student of back in school finishing up your first year as a PA student a physician's assistant so I would love for you to give a little bio of yourself if you don't mind for our listeners absolutely so um, I'm originally from New Jersey um, I grew up actually playing soccer oh. um, and with injuries there um, you know, I grew up spraining my ankle all the time and ended up having to get surgery. And then I broke my knee in recovery. Oh my gosh. Um, and when I tried to transition back into soccer, it didn't really work right. Uh, I had a lot of pain still. So um, I think that might be where my self-care journey kind of started because that's when I really learned about, okay, what's my body doing? So that was mm-hmm. kind of step one for me. Um, and so I made the switch to field hockey my junior year of high school. Um, and then by the end of my junior year, I was, you know, committed to Quinnipiac to go play field hockey there and whisked away and uh, started uh, started there. And that's when I met Tammy. And uh, it was <laughs> it was a journey from there. Uh, for me, it started with a bunch of just random symptoms. And they definitely were impacting field hockey. So it started with leg pain. And there was a history of compartment syndrome with the field hockey team, just mm-hmm. with the surface that you play on and how you play. Yeah. It's pretty common. And so that was what they initially thought it was because it started for me with uh, bilateral leg pain because I was very in tune to how my body felt, at least physically. Mm-hmm. I wasn't very in tune to how my emotional and mental health were. So all these other symptoms like fatigue, brain fog. I hadn't figured out how to identify those things yet. And so I think they were just happening to me and I wasn't able to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. I just knew that I have joint and leg pain. Uh, So we went through long lists, saw lots of doctors, lots of specialists, and eventually we figured out it was Lyme disease. And then with the Lyme, we found out that I also had, I think it was four or five other tick-borne infections. And those were actually what were much nastier for me. I didn't even know there were such things, right? So we hear about Lyme and we don't hear so much about all of the other stuff. Yeah. Other. Yep. Wow. Okay. And it's that the, the Cohen, so Lyme is, is fairly treatable. There's a very big discretion. If you're listening to this and you know a little bit about Lyme or chronic Lyme or persistent Lyme, it goes by a lot of names now. Um, there's 
a pretty big divide in the medical community about what's real, what's not real, what we understand, what we don't understand. Uh, and even when I was first diagnosed, the CDC hadn't updated their guidelines, which is actually why it took me so long to get diagnosed. Because wow. if you did my regular blood test, so if you just draw blood from your arm and you get a regular test called an ELISA, that test came back as inconclusive. And at the time, inconclusive blood test results uh, did not promote you up to the next level of tests, which is called a Western blot. And so, you know, CDC said, no, you don't have to get a Western blot if it's inconclusive. So I had never had one done. And I went for months without knowing it was Lyme. And we thought it was a brain tumor, MS. I had a bunch of other diagnoses. And uh, one doctor just decided, you know, let's run this Western blot. Let's see it. I've, I've been getting more and more cases this way. And that test came back positive, like super positive. And then once we knew it was the Lyme, we're like, okay, what other tick-borne infections do you have? And the Lyme for me was fairly treatable. Uh, I've never tested positive for Lyme again. It's always been negative test results. I was treated with doxycycline, but I was also infected. The worst one I think was the babesiosis, which is a red blood cell parasite. Oh. And so when they took my blood, it was positive for anemia because this parasite feeds on your red blood cells. Oh my God. And so when you have anemia, they you generally will supplement iron and iron is what the infection ate. And so oh I was supplementing God. iron, which is what made me so sick. And then I was showing signs of like early, early kidney failure. And oh. uh, it was, it was pretty rough. They, they think it would have been a lot serious if we hadn't caught it when we did. And obviously I still had issues for a long time. So went through treatments for that. Uh, came back to school. <laughs> yeah, Let's go ahead. Let's just pause for one second. I also want to recognize you were like 18 years old. Yeah, like you're still going, Yeah, you're going to college, which is huge as it is. And in the meantime, you just don't feel like yourself. And now you're away and you're back and you're forth. I can't imagine the mental piece of all of that, the uncertainty, the not knowing, like here you are an athlete trying to do your job, but it's just a big adjustment as a college freshman period. And uh, that's just a lot. That's a lot to endure. Uh, yeah. There's also, now that you say I that, I always, <laughs> <laughs> I was a freshman, right? And so you're, to your point, you're, you're away yeah. from home for the first time, you're adjusting to the schedule. And I also had, this is an invisible battle itself, but, and the girls on the team and the coaches were all aware that all this was going on. But during this time, my second semester freshman year, I also had, I think it was about seven people pass away. Ugh. who I had some significant connection relationship to. Just a couple of them were suicide and that's kind of what triggered it. And then some from cancer and sudden heart attacks. And yes. I just, I remember feeling so numb mm. all the time and not really processing, you know, I have this brain infection at the time. I have this systemic infection. And then it felt like my whole life was just unraveling constantly uh, just wow. it's the hardest I I've been through hard points since then, but that nothing I don't think will ever compare to that. Mm -hmm. Just the volume of trauma. And that's what it was. Like I think back to it and, you know, people think about trauma and they think about abuse and neglect, but trauma can come in many forms. Mm -hmm. And for me, that whole quarter and semester, just absolutely traumatic going through I mean, freshman for anyone, I think, is kind of traumatic. Joining a, a <laughs> Division One sport team your freshman year is pretty traumatic, most people will tell you, making that adjustment. So... No, it's so true. It's so true. But, and also like we were talking about, you don't, you know, you're not mature enough to have the language or um, how to deal with it, the coping mechanism. And, you know, it's also when people don't know a lot of it, it's hard for them to even help you. So there was just a lot going on at, at once. Okay. So, so that, so we, we were, <laughs> we made it through there. I just had to stop for a second because I think that's a lot for a human being to deal with, but I also think we're only at the point where you're like 19 now. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and now I think that was good. So, um, turn 19 in the summer, I had already decided I needed to take a medical leave of absence because I was receiving intravenous antibiotics. So I had a pick line, I had daily infusions. And we decided that's not really something to do while you're at university. And we knew I couldn't play that season. So we took the medical leave of absence. And I think being home that semester was really positive for me because it gave me the time to sit down and 
one learn, okay, what are these symptoms? What am I experiencing? And I think that's really important for people to, it's a skill. It really is not just listening to your body. And that comes from mindfulness techniques, you know, body scans, but what does my body feel right now? Do I have pain? Do I have numbness? Do I have pressure? What is this sensory that I'm feeling? Interpreting that and then trying to identify triggers. And so being home that semester, that's all I was doing. I wasn't doing any schoolwork. I'd go into the gym that I went to at home, you know, just to give me something to do throughout the day as an internship. But it really just helped me figure out what I was experiencing. And I think that lesson was really the trigger that sent me down this path to figure out, okay, I'm feeling a certain way. I don't like feeling this way. What can I be doing to make myself better? And I, the doctor I was seeing at the time, she's very holistic. Uh, she was an MD and she herself had Lyme disease and she went on to help thousands of patients who had similar issues with persistent Lyme symptoms or serious Lyme infections with multiple co-infections. And her office is very, very centered on mindfulness, nutrition, lifestyle, all mm. supporting your growth and recovery from disease. I love that. So right away falling in with somebody that was looking at you with the big lens instead of just the antibiotic and just that one single focus, right? Really taking and examining the whole the whole person, which we know is the way to treat, obviously. But exactly. Yeah. How fortunate that you had that person right away. Yeah. yeah. I and that's that's definitely I think what gave me because I still 19, you're not very mature. I still went back to school and made lots of bad decisions like <laughs> ordering Domino's three times a week or <laughs> staying up until 2 a.m. Things that are not not great for your, your body and your system. I know. But, it's hard to not when you're in college. So, you know, you want to get that experience and, and not have to think so much or worry so much, right? You had to be so hyper aware of these things that most college kids don't need to think about. So um, I think you deserved every so often to have that little cheat. <laughs> <laughs> and I still, back in PA school now, I definitely <laughs> indulge. Uh, but, and that's, so, you know, took medical leave of absence, figured out my body, came back to school, felt great, thought I was 100% again, and then within a couple weeks was deteriorating pretty quickly again. Uh, and that was when this kind of second part of the story began because I think I'm still on that journey. I still don't have a formal diagnosis. Mm. Um, we actually just started, I, I just started getting some pretty si significant symptoms recently. The stress of last quarter kind of put me over the edge and I started to get some tremors and some, some new vision issues. And I've been seeing a neurologist and we're still pretty unsure about what any of it is. So there's definitely a big part of my medical journey to still be had. But I think the progress that I've made since school, as far as I, when I look at health, I like to consider, you know, there's, there's body and there's multiple components to body. There's self-awareness, there's the medical side of it, but Western medicine really focuses on the body. And then you have uh, mind. And so that's, there's a big connection between body and mind. Well, there's a big connection between all of them, but body and mind, mind interprets body. And it's not a one-way street. And I think that's what Western medicine focuses on is mind interprets what the body is feeling. And that's what we're addressing. Very occasionally you'll find providers who understand that a lot of the time body is interpreting mind. And so if you're experiencing emotional trauma, yeah. you might be feeling additional pain. You might have hypersensitivity. You might have additional inflammation. What is the emotional stress in your life that's increasing the inflammation that you have in your body? And so it's, it's a two-way street. It's not just a one-way link. And then you also have spirit and emotional health. And there's so many components to what bring us health. And then there's things outside of that scope, like our diet, our environment. Uh, the For me, temperature is a big thing that causes discomfort. So I'm living in Arizona and heat is not my friend. And I've learned that while being really? here. Yep. Ah, 
that's so fascinating because I think for so much of people's I'm not going to say injuries, but um, just things that you have wrong, right? You're, the raininess, the dampness, the cold, it really impacts the body in that way. And many people say, oh, when I'm warmer or I'm better in the summer. And it's interesting that with your um, whatever it is that you are experiencing, the autoimmune, that um, that it's the opposite of that. So mm-hmm. fascinating. And it's pretty, it's pretty common with MS to have heat sensitivity and okay. certain thyroid disorders. Uh, but I test negative for all those. So now we're like, well, what else does that maybe be? But so that's, I think interpreting these also help you with your medical journey. Because if I didn't have the self-awareness to know that every time I go for a walk in the heat, I get pins and needles in my arms and my legs, I wouldn't have made that connection that, oh, heat is a trigger for me. Right. If I weren't, I'm like, every time I shower, like, why is it every time that I shower, I get pins and needles? Oh, it's the heat. But if we're not a paying attention to those things, if we're not able to compile information and organize it ourselves, because we don't have the knowledge or the education or the maturity to do so, mm. we'll, we'll miss out a lot of important features. And, and you mentioned this earlier, but I think it's so true that it comes down to the practice of mindfulness, right? And we say that, you know, we know what it means being present, but you're talking about the ultimate, right? You have to be in the moment or else you're attributing the pins and needles to, uh, you know, whatever else, the way you just picked up your water bottle or sitting too long or whatever it is, instead of what, what actually was happening in the moment. And so those mindfulness practices are really important uh, for, for many of us, but obviously when, when you're trying to nurse yourself back to health or pay attention to the triggers that, that exist. And uh, wow. So you also started that part of your journey long, long before you did it formally, I guess I would say. Yeah. And I guess, so the rest of college was always, I like to describe as I was just, just barely keeping my head above water. I knew enough of diet and exercise and sleep that I could get myself through undergrad. And then when I left, I really focused on, okay, what, what can I control in my environment, in my life to best support my body? Because my body's telling me something's not right. It doesn't feel well. I have all these symptoms. I have all these issues, chronic fatigue. What can I be doing to help my body be in a better place? Um, and so that's that's really where I, I got deep, deep down into the brush of what is self-care. And it's I, I, it's, almost, it's hard to know where to start because there's so much to it. But... <laughs> I think the first thing I really started with was nutrition. Okay. Um, And so for that, there's lots of diets. Lots of people feel different on lots of type of diets. And there's a lot of evidence that, you know, people have researched if it's your blood type, you should eat for your blood type. You should eat for your ethnicity and your ancestral ethnicity. Like where do your furthest ancestors come from? You know, eat like them. Um, everyone should be vegan. Everyone should be vegetarian. You should eat a Mediterranean style diet. And it's just so many recommendations. And what I found most helpful for me was an elimination diet. Yeah. yeah. And that, for, if you don't know what an elimination diet is, it's you start out very basic. I think I started with bone broth. Mm-hmm. And I ate that and just a handful of vegetables for three or five days. And you slowly start adding back in different foods and you try to add foods from the same group and you add very slowly. It's a very lengthy process because you do this slowly over a matter of weeks and you just have to be mindful about how your body responds to it. So do I feel bloated? Do I feel tired? Is my skin acting differently? It kind of depends on how your body signals you. And for me, joint pain and fatigue Mm -hmm. uh, are two of my biggest issues. So for me, if I eat a certain food, do I sleep well? Do I not sleep well? Do I have joint pain? Do I not have joint pain? Uh, Period cramps, that can be a big trigger for people. Uh, So if I eat dairy, my cramps are way worse. But it took me months to figure that out because you have to wait every four weeks to feel how you do. And you have to not eat dairy those four weeks and see how you do. And you got to repeat it because you got to make sure that it's not a fluke. And then you got to add it back in to see if it happens again. Right. 
Yes, that's that's such a long process. Even the with the elimination diet, the process of adding things back in, and I can think, you know, I I've never done that diet myself. I do know some people who have, but just when you have a baby and you're giving your baby food, essentially that's where you're starting. You're starting from scratch. Oh, let yeah. me give you the carrots and see if you have a reaction, and you wait, I don't know, three days, four days. Okay, you didn't get a rash or any symptom from the carrot. Let's add the next thing. So just to that point, it takes a long time. There's a lot of things between nightshades and um, even mm-hmm. vegetables or root vegetables that, that cause the inflammation to the gluten, to the celiac, to the, you know, there's so many layers. There's so many layers of it all that it's a really long process and I'm sure it's tiring. I'm sure it's tiring. Yeah. It's, it's nice having a support system at home. So my partner, Lance, he is on the same page as me for health and wellness and he's all, he's he's more stringent than I am. And he has this mindset that sometimes I feel a little bit envious of where he'll just eat it if he thinks it's good for him. If he doesn't think it's good for him, he's like, I don't need it. Whereas I get cravings for things like sugar and cake and Coke and all this other food that I know is not good for me. And he's just says, I think he, so he grew up in the Midwest, grew up drinking soda. He went to the doctor at like 17 and the doctor said, oh, soda's not very good for you. So he just said, okay, and then never drink soda again. Wow. <laughs> That's so crazy. How do you do that? I, I can't. I struggle with That's that. A, a very unique person can have that mindset. You're so right. So many of us are tempted, we know, but then it, it gets the better of us, the craving. But it really is uh, interesting when someone can absolutely just shut. I think my son is more like that as well. He can really just say, no, I don't eat that. And you know, doesn't get a craving, doesn't. We were talking like, what's his vice? He doesn't have one food vice. Like he doesn't do caffeine. He doesn't do sugar. He doesn't, you know, there's like nothing, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is God love them. We're jealous. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which makes, it makes it easier to, I think, be around people like that or people who are at least supportive right? rather than if I had a partner who I said, you know, I'm really trying to cut out dairy for this month to see how I feel. And that partner is like, well, I really wanted to order pizza tonight. So you're telling me I can't order pizza because there's dairy on it. Can we get you a pizza without dairy? Like there's a huge divide on what is supportive and not supportive. And it's that I think that comes down to the basis of this too, you know, the growth of your mindfulness and your ability to empathize with other people. And that's part of the emotional journey that I've been on the past couple of years, I think. Um, But it definitely helps to have that support because you also have support, but it goes in the other direction, right? The enabler where on the night you're like, I just want ice cream. And they're like in the car, they've already got it. And they're like your partner in crime diving in. Or maybe you did need someone to stand up and say, really? Oh, like you probably won't feel well tomorrow. Is it worth it? You know, just that, that little voice of reason that comes through. So uh, sometimes the people we love are supported in the wrong, supportive in the wrong ways. So absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so all of this as you're caring for yourself, but also put you on the path for where you are now today in PA school. And you not only have lived this journey for yourself, um, dealing with, you know, trying to help yourself feel, I'm going to say normal, whatever normal is, um, having yourself to feel healthy and, and, you know, not have, you know, this ailing body, but you're now, um, going to be a, physician's assistant, which is incredible. And you've also been working in the system um, in other ways, shape or form, helping others with this. So it definitely has become everything about your life, not just your own journey, but what you do on a day-to-day, right? So it's what you're passionate about. Yeah. And I think that part of my journey is realizing that I've been able to help myself so much that I want to be able to help others in a similar way. And a lot of that is through movement. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I started. I finished up school, still kind of just keeping my head above water. Like I can do it. The little fish who could, I guess, just keep swimming. (laughs) Uh, Found myself at an internship in Indiana, fell in love with coaching. And at the time, I still thought maybe I wanted to go work in pro sports. And then I got to work with some professional athletes and was like, this is cool, I guess. And then I got to work with the 85-year-old woman whose primary goal was to just walk up the stairs without a handrail. And that was my best experience in that internship, was getting her to take two steps 
up the stair without holding onto the handrail. That was the best feeling that I had during that internship was just the accomplishment that she felt, that I felt. And that was when I knew I need to go help people feel better. Yeah. Wow. That's really beautiful. It's so true, right? Um, Who you end up helping. I mean, life's goal. Like if, if that's the goal, right? The quality of life, just trying to hold on to it. Yeah. And and that was, you know, I knew I wanted to do that. I knew I wanted to help people be able, and to your point, you had said, you know, what is normal? Yeah. And I think it's different for every person. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, someone who runs 10 miles a day, if that's their normal, and all of a sudden they can't run 10 miles a day, you know, they're still maybe healthier than another individual or more fit than another individual, but that's not, you can't compare yourself to other people on different journeys with different wants and needs. So you have to figure out what's important to you and how you're going to get there for yourself, not for other people, not to meet other people's expectations of how you should look or how you should feel, but how do you want to feel? What are the things you want to do and how do you get there? Yeah. So again, back to your point that you had stressed so eloquently, it's that mind-body connection, right? Because sometimes we think about the body and we're attaching what we think a body should do, anybody. We all should be able to do this. Or if that person can do this, I should be able to. But it's really getting in the mindset of what's right for each individual person. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's that's hard for a lot of us to learn. So, so nice that that is part of your language and your scope of where you are when you're working with this clientele out there that, you know, to help them manage those two pieces, because uh, I think that comparison is, oh my gosh, so prevalent in so much of what we do. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, so that was a, it's a beautiful transition to my next part of my journey where I, I moved out to California after my internship and I was working for a startup medical company called Crossover Health. And I was working under a wonderful human being named Brendan Rurick, uh, who's, uh, you know, worked at Mike Boyle's place up in uh, Massachusetts. And he was out in California and he was leading this, not a task force team, but that's kind of what it was on how to implement fitness and movement into a primary care model. I just love this so much. I love this so much. Thank you. (laughs) It's such a good... It's, and that, when I heard about the company, it was just a dream come true. I knew this is, I had to do this. It wasn't, I want to do this. It was, I, I have to go. I have to move there. I have to work for this company. This is the dream of medicine. How do we incorporate preventative medicine and holistic medicine into a primary care model? And so they have it set up where they have physical therapists, chiropractors, acupuncturists, massage therapists, wow. nutritionists, registered dietitians, health coaches, ophthalmologists, and then your doctor all on site who meet in the same room and can talk about all the patients. It really is incredible. And that was a few years ago, correct? Because we, 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 you and I were talking before and that was prior to COVID or that's when it had started. So is it still growing? Is this company still, I know you're no longer there, but it's just, and I, I just mean that selfishly. I want to (laughs) think that this is doing well because to me, that is how we treat somebody, how we do self-care. It is about the prevention and it is looking at the whole person. So I love that this is really getting its time out there and I hope it just keeps moving forward. Yeah, they're definitely there. So I started there in 2018. And so when I started, we were in person and that was, I, I got to step into the primary care clinic role. I was working with physicians daily. I was working with physical therapists daily. It was such a fluid and smooth process where I could be called in during a patient's annual visit who's newly diagnosed with type 2 diabetes or hyperlipidemia where your your uh, lipids are elevated. And the doctor would just say, okay, so we've talked about your medication. We've talked about how you're going to monitor. Now we need to talk about lifestyle changes. So here's Allison. And then after she talks to you, I'm going to bring in the health coach and she's going to talk to you about other habitual changes that you can make and other diet and other lifestyle changes that you can make. And so I'd sit down with the patient and said, okay, let's talk about what you're doing for movement right now. Do you have a sedentary job? Do you have a sedentary life? How can we get you more active? What's enjoyable for you? How can we convince you to add this to your day-to-day routine? 
And if they needed the motivation, they could come in and do a session with me in person, live at the clinic where they're, you know, maybe they, if it's type 2 diabetes, a lot of the time you'll come in the first couple of weeks to have your, your glucose checked, to have a check on your medication, and you might have a nurse visit. So they could come to their nurse visit, see their nurse, eat a quick snack, and then pop on in, have a quick training session with me, and then head back to work. And it was seamless and just wow. beautiful. And then, and then COVID <laughs> happened. And then, then we're in a pandemic in a hospital clinical setting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so for us, the clinics shut down. Uh, first thing, once you know cases started to really to really pop up, uh, we shut down. We became a testing site initially. So this is 2020. Yeah. Um, so my time there, I was remote. Some of the other providers like physical therapy and chiropractors were initially remote because we didn't still fully understand how severe this was. So that must have been March. I think we shut down late February. I can't remember the exact details. First week yeah. of March, whatever it was. You were a little ahead of the East Coast. We were mid-March. We were like March 12th. And so you were a few weeks ahead um, having had one of the first cases out there in California. So yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Now I remember. Yeah. I remember now. <laughs> So I think the for us, it was actually kind of seamless for fitness. Uh, online remote fitness is not, even Lance does that. He's done it for years. He did it, I think, two or three years before COVID was even mm-hmm. a figment of our imaginations. And now it's his day-to-day life. So Crossover was super supportive of the population that we were serving in the way that we recognized, and I think this comes from that integrative model because we we had behavioral therapists on site. I worked with uh, different psychologists and we had some um, psychiatrists on site who could work with people's medications. And so when this started, I think all of us just kind of took a de- deep breath for ourselves. And I was lucky enough where I didn't have to worry about a a child at home. Many of my colleagues had children at home, so they were struggling. How do I adapt to being at home with my whole family in the house and still see patients? How do I take care of my kids and do that? So Crossover was very supportive for all of that with employees in general. And I was in a place where I could step up and help out where I was needed. And so we had that initial conversation of, this is going to be really hard for people. What can we be doing to make things easier for them? And so my role with that was, Let's start some online fitness classes and let's just open them up. Let's make them free. Mm-hmm. People can send it to their friends. They can send it to their families, even if they're not employees of the companies that we were serving. Let's make these free. Let's make them accessible. Let's do it multiple times a day with multiple types of classes because you can do that from home. It's very, yeah. very easy to open yourself up to that. Mm-hmm. And we did. And so that was what I did throughout COVID. I had multiple calls and then we got the virtual personal training set up and I'd have one-on-ones in between classes and take breaks for myself to go for walks when I needed to step out during lunch, come back and coach some more in the afternoon and make dinner with Lance and my roommate. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So with both of you, you know, manning the computer and teaching classes though, were there lots of um, class uh, you know, conflicts where you're like, wait, I have to teach a class and, you know, we have music or we're loud or it just must have been funny in your house of everybody, you know, filming what they were doing and sending it out into the world. There were definitely interesting <laughs> moments. It's when it started out, I had actually sold my desk like two weeks before COVID. So I just had this big empty hole in oh. our room where my desk used to be. And I didn't have anywhere to sit. So I was just sitting on the ground coaching, basically. I think I used an old shoebox to prop up my computer. And then my back did not like that. And so we struggled with how do we arrange this for, we had our roommate who was in the kitchen, Lance was in an office and I was in the bedroom and it was like, we got to get a rotation schedule or something because this is not awesome. Yeah. But other than a couple of sensitive microphones where I'd pick up conversations from the other room. We had thin walls. We got it figured out where we could rotate to different rooms at different times of the day. And it it ended up working out really well. Did you notice, so for me teaching fitness classes, I can think 
when I'm in person and I'm working with a big group and I'm teaching, I could demo something or in a lot of cases, I'm to the point where I don't even have to demo because I've crafted the language and I can teach a class without doing a lot of it. And that's what we do as we age to protect our bodies because it's a lot. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden now all of us are on screen and you can't just talk into the computer. So now like for me, the few of the things that I did, it was backtracking and it was doing it and teaching at the same time, which is hard work, right? And we're also not used to that. So it took me a bit and I did not do a lot of it, but there was a transition um, mm -hmm. in, in having to be that one person because just with my style, I'm very much walking around and and coaching to the point where you said coaching, but you know, on screen, like you have to physically do it. It's it's just you and the computer and the people are waiting to see what you're doing. So I don't know how you felt with that, if it was taking its toll on your body, doing more classes or participating in more, or you're probably just young and, and in it all that it didn't, it didn't bother you. Uh, I definitely had issues sometimes, but we had a unique model uh, that because we had, we had discussed online classes prior to COVID actually. And we had looked at, popular models like Peloton. And I mean, there's a bunch more now that I'm thinking of that didn't exist then, but yeah. uh, YouTube tutorials and stuff, and they all use pre-recorded videos. Yeah. And so I had already built a library of, I think, 500 plus videos of pre-recorded ah. videos. And so we basically just embedded them. And, you know, I got really good at making PowerPoints and put them on loop. And then I could sit there in class while the video played and it, we'd do one exercise at a time. So it's not great for certain class styles, but if you're doing like a hit style where you're doing 30 seconds on, 20 seconds off, mm -hmm. you have that video play on loop for that 30 seconds, I can sit at the computer wow. and I can watch the 20 people on my screen oh. scrolling through them and provide feedback. And we kind of had a rule where not everyone wants feedback, Mm -hmm. You know that like some people come to class and they just want to sit in the corner and they just want to do their own thing. So we made it video optional. So you could have your video on or off. And if your video was on, you're consenting to getting feedback. Okay. And so if their video is on and I see something, I could call out that individual and say, hey, you know, make sure your heels on the ground and provide real time coaching feedback. Oh, I love that. I love that. I didn't even um, think about that, you know, putting that video on and having it just you do it one time recorded and it's on, on repeat, which mm -hmm. is fabulous because it is, they want the coaching. I mean, to your point, some of them want the coaching and it's hard to see on those little squares or however you're doing it. So it, it took a lot of creativity on, on the back end, but it seems like you all jumped in um, pretty quickly and, and made it pretty seamless. Do you continue, or I guess you're not there any longer with crossover now that you're in school? Correct. Yes. So do you know, like, are they continuing with this? Because I think I just look at fitness and to your point, Lance is doing it online and now it's even bigger. And so there's so much more need for that. We'll never not have that piece. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious um, how that's worked out just for them and, and that whole moving out of COVID piece. They still do it. Mm -hmm. I know they still do it. Uh, and it's it's super exciting and cool. And I think it opens up so many people. And we had, I mean, spoken briefly about this, but when people are spread across the country, I think that was a big thing with COVID was mental health, figuring out, I haven't seen my parents in over a year and a half. Oof. How do I process that? How do I experience that? And I'm an adult who hasn't seen my parents. So people who haven't seen, people who are at college or people who are stuck in other countries. We Lance had us a client who uh, plays professional rugby and COVID had started and it was either I need to go back to New Zealand where I'm from or I need to fly to Scotland where I'm about to play because he'd been with us in California literally when COVID started. And I had thankfully been working in healthcare and could, you know, we had been talking for weeks. I had called my mom mid-February and was like, you need to go buy hand sanitizer. You need to go buy masks because these oh, are getting sold out. Hospitals can't get them. There's going to be a mad rush for certain things. You need to go get this stuff now because we don't know what this looks like. And so I had felt pretty prepared for that. And I had seen everything happening and told him, you need to decide what you want to do. You need to head back to New Zealand or get to Scotland. And he chose to go to Scotland and his season got canceled. So <gasps> he's in Scotland. He didn't know anybody. It oh, was no. shut down. His family's all back in New Zealand. 
how does how does someone experience that for years he hasn't been yeah. back to new zealand since before covid because he's been in scotland uh, and so that's you're looking at crazy distance and separation and the panic and anxiety and loneliness associated with that and how technology provides this opportunity to communicate with people and especially fitness i told people if you want your your mom or someone to join this class send them the link i don't care Mm. have them sign the consent form and then just have them join and then a lot of the time they'd set up their computers and then they'd take their phone and they'd facetime each other so they could do the fitness class together and just spend that time together and they could catch up and do something for themselves and it was great i like that's prime humanity Yeah, we definitely rallied in some really extraordinary ways. And and that's the thing, you know, as trying as it was, there are some things that were amazing that have come out of it. And you want to find a way to keep some of that as well, you know, to make sure that that community stays in touch and, and keeps, you know, yes, seeing it, them in person and coming back in person is going to be amazing and great. But it wasn't always right for every person to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting how all that's playing out. Um, so you left the job. We're still like this. I love this story because we're like teasing it all out as we're <laughs> weaving in <laughs> our self-care along the way. But you decided, what What was the catalyst to make you decide to leave the work you were doing and to go to PA school? Had you thought about being a PA before? I, I had always maybe considered doing something more patient-centered. Mm -hmm. where I would be more medical, but I didn't know what that looked like. And I had considered that I was actually pre-med in undergrad because after the Lyme, I was like, this is, I'm not letting this happen to anyone else. You know, I'm going to go into medicine and I'm going to cure everything. And this is not okay. And I don't want anyone else to have this experience. And then I quickly realized, I'm not so sure you're going to solve that problem. (laughs) but you can help some individuals. You can make an impact. And I'm not so sure that we ever will solve that problem because there's so many variables and so many hard and difficult things to understand. But I knew I wanted to do something. And then the pandemic hit and I knew I needed a stronger voice. I wanted to be more involved in the full treatment plan of the patient so that I could bring up other important topics. Like if you're diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, you know, we need to talk about so many things, but let's talk about not just your physical health. Let's talk about your mental health. This is all really overwhelming for this new diagnosis. Are you okay with us tackling this? Like, how do you feel about this? Are you, because you, you get a patient, the doctor sees them, they say, oh, your blood sugar is elevated. You have type 2 diabetes. You're going to start this medication. You're going to need to start exercising every day. You're going to have to change your entire diet. You're never allowed to eat those things again. This is a chronic issue. If you don't treat it, you're going to have to take insulin and do all these other treatments. And this is a lifelong journey for you. And then they send you out the door with your prescription slip in hand and maybe some handouts. And it's just like there's no discussion about finance management there. If you're starting a medication for life, if someone can't afford regular follow-up appointments, if they can't afford their medication, if they can't afford their copay, if they can't afford the regular blood glucose test strips to know that their blood sugar is managed, how does that person deal with it? Wow. And then how do you, how do you accept this fact that I'm, I have a chronic illness now and I know how hard that is to accept. It's changing your life. And if you don't manage it properly, you're going to get symptoms. You're going to lose your vision. You're going to have issues with uh, your nerves functioning. You could develop neuropathy. You could develop ulcers. You might have to get an amputation. Mm -hmm. That is exhausting to think about. And the patient's just sent off. So I knew I wanted to be part of this conversation because I, and I think it comes, and you, you understand this with exercise. If you're a personal trainer, you're in someone's fitness class, doctors see patients once or twice a year, typically, if that Mm -hmm. fitness providers see their clients because they're not patients, but clients multiple times a week typically. So the emotional insight that you get into their mindset and how they're processing their experiences is totally different. And I think it gives you a different empathetic level. And so that was when I knew I got to do something. And 
I am very indecisive and I know I want to do multiple specialties and PAs allow you to switch specialties, which is kind of why I landed on that. Okay. I, and I love the point you just brought up about your clients coming over and over. Um, they trust you, right? And you become the sounding board and it's that emotional um, and the communal support that people get from it, right? And that that piece is huge as opposed to a doctor that maybe they trust medically, but they might not feel they know them very well because you are really not very frequently there. I mean, I'm lucky. Yeah. I see a PA, but I will, full disclosure, she is a Quinnipiac graduate. And that was why I picked her and I adore her. And when I go in, we have the best conversation because we talk about life and about things. And she tells me about her kids and we talk about other students that we knew. And I love going to see her. And I think that's very different than what a lot of other people have when they go to a provider. So it's yeah. nice to, you know, listen to an up and coming, oop, up and coming and, um, you know, hear that point of view of wanting to be the person that they trust and offer way more than just here's your diagnosis and I'll see you in six months. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very refreshing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So are you noticing, I guess, a shift I know you had said there's still some things that you're trying to monitor, but has your health, uh, your self-care process and routine have to change again with meeting your academic demands and, you know, still surviving life and we're kind of half in and half out. We have one foot out the door, maybe almost two feet out the door, but how are things going now with the changes that you made in the last year? Ooh, they were going pretty well for a while. Um, so changes for me were sleep, just overhaul sleep hygiene. So really focusing on limiting screen time, especially at night. If I am on screens, what am I doing to help regulate the blue light? Because that can disrupt melatonin release. Uh, how can I make sure that the that my breathing is optimized while I sleep? So if you're mm -hmm. someone who snores like me or you have a history of sleep apnea, are you addressing that? Are you making sure that the air isn't too dry? I live in a desert, so we have a humidifier and I have bad allergies, so my nose gets congested. So sleeping with an air purifier, uh, making sure it's not too hot in the room because that can disrupt your sleep cycle. And I've also, it's kind of cool. It's, this is not a, I'm not sponsored, but uh, <laughs> this is an aura ring. Oh, I, I have not known anybody who's worn one, but I've been seeing the aura ring. Yes. Yeah. It out there. Yeah. So it tracks sleep cycle. So I know REM sleep, deep sleep, light sleep. I know if I'm waking up in the middle of the night, I know my temperature while I sleep, which was big for me. And so if you're uh, uh, someone who ovulates, you may not know this, but your body temperature changes when you ovulate. And so you can track your cycle with it. So I know when I'm ovulating based off of my temperature on my aura ring. I mean, it's amazing where we are with the wearables at this stage. It's really yeah. incredible. So you're using them in particular to really monitor all of these things like we've been talking about that can be mm -hmm. triggers for your body. So that's pretty cool that te modern technology is able to help you um, in a way where maybe it's taken a little bit of the guesswork or some of the mindfulness outward. Oh, I can just read my, my data. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and so I... The, the aura ring was good for me. It didn't really change much. It just gave me insight, kind of like the elimination diet. So yeah. we've done the elimination diet. I know what my body likes. I know what it doesn't like. Sleep, the aura ring just gave me the feedback. So I know if I feel tired the next day that I probably didn't sleep very well. But now I can see what's disrupted. Was my temperature too high? Was I waking up a lot? Was I not in REM that much? Why am I feeling tired? Yeah. And so it kind of gave me that feedback. Uh, and then I think within the biggest change I've made in the past year has been mental health. Okay. And so I've learned the mindfulness skills. And actually one of the reasons I picked my university Midwestern is they have a mindfulness curriculum. It's amazing. And the professor who's in charge of it, Dr. Eve Hoover, she's an amazing human, just absolutely spectacular. And her knowledge that she continues to bring and the support that she gives the student is just, she, she's, it's mind boggling. It, the amount that she does and processes and handles for the school and the curriculum and the students astounds me. And she has, along with help of other faculty, has created a mindfulness curriculum that the PA students have to complete. Part of the program, absolutely mandatory. You have to attend these sessions. And we talk about provider burnout. 
and mindfulness techniques mm. and breathing techniques. And this year, myself and a couple of the other students were actually able to get involved in the curriculum so that we could give student-led tools. And okay. so we had one student who had very positive experience with cognitive behavioral therapy. So she gave a presentation. We had another student, she was actually a naturopath. Uh, and she gave a whole lecture on meditation and how meditation can actually change the brain waves. I didn't know this. Her lecture was really cool. It can change your brain waves so that you're literally in a in a sleep state yeah. while you're awake. And yeah. so your brain can physically heal and reduce inflammation. What? Like the, the brainwave thing is incredible when you really tap in. And so they use soundscapes to do something similar, right? And it is amazing that that can actually be a thing, right? Yeah. Because it doesn't require any work. It's so easy. And that's uh, medical tools try to achieve that. And if this is something you can just kind of heal yourself with, if you practice and are in tune with yourself, that's incredible. Yeah. Ultimate healing. Wow. And I love it. That's so, really amazing. Yeah. And so that's, I knew that they were really focused on this. They also have a secondary program that I'm in. So I'm in two programs at once. So I'm also completing the precision medicine certificate, which just kind of, it dives you into treating. And the, the theory behind precision medicine is you're treating the individual. So everyone's body is going to respond differently to things. Everyone has a different genetics, different history, different environment. No two people are the same. How do I make my treatment model specific enough to treat the individual. And so that is really what precision medicine focuses on. So it's been a lot of genetics so far. Uh, and then I'm in our, our omics section. So we're talking about genomics and different things, but okay. super cool stuff. Wow. I, I love it. I love all of that because um, it, it really sounds, which I think we know physicians assistants in general uh, are the players out there that are taking a step back and really looking at the person and establishing the relationships. That's been one of the reasons why that industry has grown. But this really seems like it takes it to the next level with um, the support that it gives you and the education around some of these holistic approaches, which I mean, to me, that's what I would seek out as a you know, when I'm looking for a provider, that's what I want. So hopefully uh, your your patients, your future patients, uh, really appreciate and gravitate to uh, to you for those reasons, because I think it's so much more than going to the doctor, um, you know, mm -hmm. so really nice to see that whole path laid out for you. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> it's, it's, and doctors, they're just so busy. They can't manage. I Doctors will sometimes, I have a friend who's in medical school and she was doing a neurosurgery rotation. The doctor had 80 patient follow-ups that day. Uh, and it's just the medical system's overwhelmed. Right. Like right. I, that poor doctor is trying to see his patients, trying to make sure he's giving all of them good attention, but he also has 79 other patients to manage just that day alone. It's yeah. just... And, and our capacity, I think, as humans, given what's happened over the last couple of years, is not the same. Mm -hmm. Life is more overwhelming. And so we have to factor that in. So if you and I are feeling it, imagine what the poor people who have been in the trenches, you know, the poor healthcare industry, and, you know, you included with what you've been doing, has just been in the trenches and inundated. And, and you're trying to care for your patients. And at the same time, your own life is just overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot. It's It's a lot. And I hope we can get a better handle on that for for the sake of everyone's health, you know, not just the patients, but the doctors themselves to that point. Uh, yeah. So interesting. I have to ask before we kind of sign off. Now, first of all, you've, you know, really been sharing a lot of your journey and I appreciate that. And we haven't really talked about that inner critic that maybe sometimes we have. So I usually like to finish up as my last question by saying to the guest, how do you think you are at being your own best friend? Oh, my own best friend. Yeah. Um, I think it's, and I think this has changed. Yeah. Um, okay. I think maybe the way that my current self, the way that I am my own best friend is, I think, trying to allow my inner self to be more present. Okay. And so I think... And I felt it a lot this last year. And I think my partner, Lance, I felt it a lot with the growth that he's, I, 
we have an interesting relationship where we say that we're co-dependent or co-independent. So we could be doing two totally different things, but as long as he's nearby, I feel supported and that's enough. Like I don't need to do everything with him, but I want him to be around. And he gives me space when I need it. That's vital for me. I'm definitely introverted. I do my best introspection and self-reflection when I'm alone. And then he waits for me to come to him when I have problems that I need to talk to him about. And he just kind of lets me figure them out. And then if I ask for help or feedback, he provides it to me. And I think it's provided this opportunity to grow where I think I've almost been my own worst enemy Mm-hmm. up until maybe about a year ago where I have internal dialogues where I, I am that, that critic. I am, I, I bully myself. I'm not very kind to myself. And my language is you would, people say, if you wouldn't say it to your best friend, why would you say it to yourself? And it's just, I was very harsh and very critical and I would almost hold on to issues because I felt like it gave me purpose. So if I had an argument or a fight with someone, I'd really ruminate on that and it became toxic. And I could recognize and have the conversation with myself. You're doing that thing where you're getting upset about something, but you're not talking to them about it. Why aren't you talking to them about it? Just say something, just say something. And I never would. And I think within the past year, I've started, uh, I worked with a therapist a little bit. I, I lost another family member last summer. And so processing that and really diving into understanding the resentments that I had and allowing my inner self to just have a voice instead of trying to suppress it. Mm. Because I think our inner selves, like our inner spirits, that's who you are as a person. Those are your values. Those are your morals. Those are the things you want to achieve and accomplish. And they're also our fears and the things that hold us back. And if you can voice your fears and at least understand where they're coming from and the root of them, instead of suppressing it or holding in your true thoughts, you're able to get so much more out of your relationships and just out of life in general. Like you're not holding on to issues that are preventing you from living your day-to-day lives. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I, I love that you said, oh, it's different now. And I think that that is the point with, with a lot of this is we change. Obviously, think about the 18-year-old girl coming into college and the woman you are now, right? And we definitely can use the terms girl and woman, like the, the amount of growth that happens. But you're not the same. So the relationships aren't the same. And that is even the relationships with yourself. So it's nice to see again, that healthier piece moving forward, because I think it is for many of us, we are our own worst enemy. We are our harshest critic and it is hard to let things go, period. Things that we do and others. And to your point, I love that you said we carry them around, right? And they begin to weigh us down and, you know, being able to be free. There's nothing like that feeling of being lighter or liberated or having voiced what you needed to instead of leaving it left unsaid. So I love that you're in that practice and, uh, and meeting yourself where you are. And still growing. I hope my answer for that changes in a year, you know? Yeah. I love it. Um, I'm not going to keep you any longer. I really loved everything that you shared, um, especially your journey and your health. And I know it, it's al- also personal. So thank you for, for opening up about all that. And I'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot of info from everything that you're doing. And yeah, I'm just so happy that you're in such a good place right now. Thank you. I am. I think it's, I'm happy to be here, you know, like <laughs> in this good place yeah. instead of being like, oh, just accept that you're, I think we don't allow ourselves to be happy and to feel happiness. So think about a point where I allow myself to be present in that. Oh, I'm so happy for you, Allison. So great to see. Thank you. Thank you. So great to have that conversation with Allison. So grateful to her. And I hope you all enjoyed everything that she shared. Uh, Again, I, I keep saying it, but she's so wise. I give her so much credit for um, all that she's accomplished and she's still so young. So we are in such a great position out there to have her uh, driving our, our medical field and being our future. And if anyone, you know, does deal with chronic 
illness and injury um, and need someone to reach out to, Allison's such a fabulous person. So her information's in the the little intro um, on the episode. So pop over there and you can get her contact info and give her a shout. Uh, Next week, excited as always to bring a colleague of mine and friend, Aaron Shivardu. Uh, Aaron works for Mad Dog Athletics, so we'll learn all about his role. Uh, But uh, a really pivotal point in his life and things have turned around in in a great way. So we'll get to look at uh, living by the motto, you only get one life. So please stop by next week for Living Well While Living Online, which is a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. And the podcast is produced by Renette Chifu, executive producer David DeRoche. Social media is Lauren Scupo, and the theme music is from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to the podcasts on the platform or app of your choice. And you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at QU Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to send us an email, which is QUPodcasts at QU.edu. So until next week, my friends, be intentional, breathe deep, and learn to be your own best friend. <laughs>